I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. So another government announcement, lads. Um, fairly underwhelming from a sports spectator point of view. We're all on fa- we're all on phase two or level two. Um, so crowds of two hundred are going to be allowed at matches um, with a capacity, a ground capacity that exceeds five thousand. And if it's below five thousand, then it's a hundred. Um, I'm pretty sure that's at at level two. Um, if we're in phase one, which hopefully will be going to, you can go, you can get to five hundred. Um, so lots of different counties will have different um, will have different capacities now, Conan, by the looks of things, because the good thing about this new roadmap is that at least the whole country has been treated equally. It looks like actually today Dublin is going to be moving back a phase to phase three. Looks like the Monster Hurdle final is coming to Armagh after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's, um, it's disappointing. I think everybody thought once they were talking about more crowds coming in that that yeah, like there would be more than two hundred because that's what we had initially. I know that was including the players, but yeah, it's just a little bit, ugh, you know, especially around county final time. I was sort of hoping that like it would be the same as up north where it'd be four hundred, five hundred yeah. games, and that would be good for all the main club stalwarts. That's what that's what I don't understand though. Like I mean, when you're talking about two hundred being allowed into a county final, and then you have Mihal Martin saying there's nothing specific in terms of numbers for larger stadiums. It's like, does he not understand that county finals are played in the larger stadiums? So they're going to come back to the GEA with maybe a revised capacity for large stadiums like Croke Park. But like, I mean, the Tipperary Hurling County Final is on this weekend in Turles, Connor. Like, I mean, it's 50,000 capacity. And do they not understand that this is the same venue that they will probably allow an increased capacity in for Munster Inter-County Championship matches. Why about this are they not understanding? These are enormous stadiums and this 200 is madness. 
Yeah, I think we raised that question at the weekend, and I think the provision that's in level two, it's something for they mentioned there's a there's a there's a mention of uh large national and international events. And I took that to mean that 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 excludes club matches. That's all, that's only going to count for intercounty. Whereas if they were going by the guidelines that they themselves set out, that these stadia with an with a capacity in, in excess of five thousand should be able to a county final in Thurless should be able to hold the same amount as a National League game in Thurless or if it was a Munster Championship game in Thurless later on. It's just a pity that for the Tipperary game this weekend and for, for the next few weeks, for, for a load of county finals that are taking place over the next few weeks, you're going to only see... It's I, I can't see us moving to level one for the time being, so you're likely to only see maybe 200. And then maybe, maybe down the line for National League games and for Championship games, you might see... 500 or over. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. At least the 200, Conan, does not include players and mentors and all that kind of thing. It's 200 supporters. Well, that's something, and especially when you have a backroom team of 17, 18, then that's going to take the, the pressure off. And it is like, even last night, I was driving past the, the Scaries pitch and there was a, a ladies game on and just people are just standing outside. And I mean, they would, they, we've talked about this before, but they'd be safer inside, spread out around the pitch. They're all huddled up outside against the wall and it's all the same in a a soccer match in Balbriggan a few a few days ago as well. Like it's just, it, look, it, it would be it would be more wise to put them around the size of the pitch. But sure, look, we talked about this. Yeah, the three main sporting organisations, so the GEA, the FAI, and the IRFU have come together to set up some sort of a working group, and they want to develop a roadmap for the safe return of fans. Um, into their stadiums. I presume this is for the higher profile inter-county games. You know, the games in the Aviva, they want to come with some, um, you know, roadmap of how they can do this safely and go to the government with it. So suppose this is still up in the air. It's a good idea from the three um, sporting organisations to come together and show the government we can do this safely. Connor. Yeah, pretty much. And then I was just looking at what, what is kind of on, kind of come later in the year. So as well as the championship, I think there's, um, you have a lot of rugby matches that are that are scheduled to play, like the home Nations game, let's say Ireland against Wales and England. There's Nations League games for Ireland uh, in the soccer that'll probably be at the Viva Stadium as well. And then you have the championship too. So there there is a lot of kind of, well, for the time being anyway, there's a lot of maybe larger scale games kind of uh, planned for 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 what would be maybe the, the the bigger stadiums around the country and specifically the the Aviva Stadium for the FAI and the RFU, so you would imagine that that's that's exactly it that that, that the GA the, the FAI and the RFU um, will come up with, and I imagine they'll come up with a number as well that they think is safe to you know the GA will say, well this is Munster Championship game is taking place in Semple Stadium and we reckon we can get X thousand in, and then just to be rubber stamped by. Uh, rubber stamp by the government so just for for everyone's sake and for the sakes of uh people that are going to be going to those games hopefully it's a it's a decent number and maybe a bit more than the, than the 200 that we're getting for the county finals at the moment so to me conan it looks like the all and final might not be in crow park if dublin's at phase three for example and somewhere like kerry has moved to phase one like i mean it would make more sense for the all and final to be moved to be moved out of crow park right is that is this how this will follow to its logical conclusion or, or, or a better example or more leashes at phase 1 and a more park can take 10000 for the all and final <laughs> look, look how that worked out <laughs> i'm just thinking on my feet here you know <laughs> i'll just pick somewhere at random uh, but more park <laughs> Um, like, well, you have to think like, what, why is the why is the All Ireland final in Crow Park? Is because it has the most, it can hold the most people. Like, so yeah. once that's not possible, especially if Dublin's in level three or whatever, and 
especially like I don't want to bang this drum every podcast, but if up north is allowing more more people into the games, or like say Parky Key will allow more people into the games compared to the size of the stadium, then that has to be looked at. Like you know, we have to go to the place that has that has the most fans in it, and like that's definitely the the fairest way to do it. Like you know, having it in in Cork is as arbitrary as having it in Dublin, I think. Yeah, I see you giving out about um, Clonus. Are you giving out about it that Clonus isn't going to be Ulster, the Ulster final uh, venue, which is a huge break from tradition um, for an Ulster final? And they're using floodlights. They must, they must be going to fix it on a Saturday night and it doesn't. Clonus doesn't have floodlights. Yeah, no, no, I'm not giving out about it. I just thought it was a nice, uh, handy excuse for them. I'd say they're happy enough to have it in, in Armagh where they can obviously have a, a bigger a bigger crowd at it. I think somebody will be in Crew Park now messing with the floodlights so they can, so they can have it up north and like have have actual fans there but that makes absolute sense we talked about that Armaz is smaller ground anyways it can allow more it'll allow more supporters is exactly what we talked about on last uh, Thursday show it's going to happen will it the All Ireland is coming up north <laughs> the Munster final in Armagh you listen you've heard it here first that's all we have that's all we have to say about this other big news here this week Connor is Paul Galvin has stepped down as manager of Wexford senior team now I've I sent out a couple of text messages to see um, is there any more to this story or what's going on and I haven't got any reply back so like I mean this has gone to ground so we'll take it at face value in that Paul Galvin has said that he's moved his family back uh, over to the west because of increasing cases of the coronavirus in Dublin and it's too far of a commute um, you know for, for him to do so you, you'll take it on face value at that the other side of that is that you know you're only looking at another four weeks pretty much, Connor, of guaranteed football between the two National League games. He's done the 16 months without very few games, and now there's only five or six weeks left. It seems like a strange time to step away. Yeah, I thought the timing was a bit weird. Um, yeah, but I suppose you do. I don't think I don't think Galvin managed them in a championship game because he like a while he's been in charge for 16 months. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Wexford might have been out of the championship by the time he took over. Oh, they were, yeah. He's yeah. It's 16 months he's just played a few league games. That's all he's done with the Anna Auburn Cup games. Pretty much, yeah. And but like, it's not as if he's kind of like I like. No, I know they're doing okay in Division Four, but there's been a, bit, a few kind of news lines coming out that time when he he dropped Dahi Waters and a couple of players and other few players left uh, left the panel of their own accord as well. But uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I suppose you have to take it at face value, Willie. Like, um, I think he's based in. I could be wrong, but I think he's based in Castlebar now or living in Castlebar. I was just checking the the commute to, to Wexford would be four hours plus uh, each way. So yeah, um, if that was the way, it was never going to be workable. Um, and maybe that's like again, like I can't speak for Paul Gavin, but if if he was going to be based there more long term, that's 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 definitely not feasible. So the timing was the timing was a bit strange, but like uh, if you've done your digging, you can't find Anthony Willie. Well, then we'll, we'll just take his place value and, and and leave it at that. What's he doing moving to Mayo? I know his wife is from Mayo, <laughs> but at the same, there isn't even internet that over in Mayo, Connell. Like what the hey, hell would you be? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually um I'm more suspicious, Willie, that that you can find anything that nobody's talking about this. Like what what what, well, yeah. what going on? And it, it's 16 months, but like yeah, like the season's been shut down since February here. Like you know that's, that's seven. He took over in June. When did they start training? October or whatever. I know you're you're looking at games and whatever else, but like you know, 16 months is like a nice way. Of, it's it's how you would sort of pad out your CV when you're trying to show that you were <laughs> you were in a job for longer than you were. Like um and like yeah, so that would, if you did give 16 months, why would you not just give an extra an extra four weeks? Look his personal life and whatever else but I I think I would have just sort of stuck it out having come this far gotten to the championship yeah Kilshimok could try and sign him now Connor. like I mean it's too late for, for Sunday but or Saturday 
But at the same time, there's a, a man that there's another year year left in him. We've an abundance of hardworking wing forwards, Willie. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> I think we're okay. Like Paul Gavin, I don't know. Of course, Paul Gavin would, would make any team, but I think as far as I know, he's, he's closer to Castlebar. So maybe uh, Mitchell's already made a coup there with Donny Vaughan a couple of years ago. So they might try and get another one in uh, in Galvin. Right. So the club players association have put forward two proposals um, for the split season. So they're not resting on their laurels here. Um, I've, I, I don't know about you, two friends. I go to you first, Colin. I have a feeling the Club Players Association want to have, want to be the ones that have thought up of this new season going forward. Um, like, I mean, they're pushing two new split seasons on us when the fixtures review have another have another three that it was discussed that the CP actually left. Um, they left that group out of frustration. There is still there is still two up for discussion that could fit into a split season, but the CPA aren't happy with that. They're out on their own now. They've left the fixtures review, and now they want to actually have their own ones. And they will be very upset if these two are ignored because that was my information about their input into that fixtures review committee that when their proposals weren't getting the consideration that they thought they deserved, they weren't very happy about this at all. Well, I am so glad that you said this because I, I saw like the, the two proposals that they put through and I was like, what? This is not their business to be coming up with the championship restructure. Like their whole motto was fix the fixtures. So that's fine like that they're trying to create space for that. But then whatever whatever the Intercounty or the GA want to do with that season, then that's up to them. Like, you know, the the Club Players Association is just supposed to be getting a window for club players. And then like I just find it really strange. I don't know, like is it overstepping the market? I don't know if that's the right term. But uh, no, no, to be fair, they had a seat in a, in on that fixtures mm. uh, task force. They had a seat on that and they left it. So their input into what happens with that, you're right, that's gone now. So now they're just coming along saying, look what we can do. And to be honest with you, the two options they provided wouldn't blow me away. They both involved, it both involve uh, making leagues out of the provincial championships. So I don't think you need to do that at all. And they both involve moving counties out of their their provinces to make up even number of teams, which will be a non-runner as well, Connor. Like I mean, so I don't. I, I, to, other than other than at least they're staying on top of this issue and not letting it go away. Um, I don't know. They're, I'm they're starting to frustrate me a little bit. Yeah, that 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 seems to be it. I mean, to to be and they're probably striking while the iron is hot in terms of like there's a there's a lot of buzz around the club game at the moment, so they probably think that. It's it's as good as time as any to kind of be 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 rare in their head again because as you said they 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 initially withdrew from the process because they were correct I, like I think they they were pissed off at their the the lack of kind of um the lack of role they seem to be playing in, in the in the fixtures process but again if they're trying to kind of make an impact with these uh, like I well, first of all I was trying to kind of decipher them from from the existing ones and they they, they absolutely don't 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 blow, blow me away as in like they're making leagues out of the provincial championships whereas i was thinking well would you not just kind of um if you're going to have a league process at the at the time at the time of year that they want would you not just have it as it is already and that the tier two tier one and tier two championships are going to be separated as they would have been this year d- d- depending on league positions in division two and division three so yeah, they I, I I don't know they didn't I, I'd be like you they didn't blow me away but I, I, the only the only kind of thing I can I can put forward for why they're doing it now is that as I said there's a lot of kind of buzz about the club game and maybe they think that their voice is like more likely to be heard now than it will be maybe later and later on in the year. 
Yeah, so that's it. So I'm not going to go through their two proposals. You can people listening can can look that up, but they're a little bit overly complicated for me. For me, the very obvious one is to not scare people away and counties away and provincial councils away by all these new fancy things where we're going to move Longford to Ulster and then the top teams out of there around Robin will come down into a, a Champions League format. Stop messing with it. Play the provincials in March as a knockout cup competition and then play your national league as your main competition. Why do you need to mess? Nobody's knows this player giant. The provincial councils keep control of the provincial championships, promote them. We know how Auburn Cup games can get, or early season uh, Cup games can get huge crowds, especially in Ulster. Imagine what you get in March waiting for an Ulster championship first round. It would be the same prestigious competition, in my opinion. And then your All-Ireland series is your National League. And what's fairer than four different uh, groups? And there's nobody... Nothing here is torn up. It's changed. There's nothing happening. Colin, I get blue in the face. I don't know why. Like, uh, let's not. Well, we, I don't think we need to get into a no. debate regarding this because I know you favour the Champions League model, which is is a bit is a part of one of those options that the CPL put forward. But I just think the cleanest way is to not change anything that we have. It's just to jiggle it around a little bit, and then there's no. There shouldn't be as much opposition as there would be by ripping it up and doing something different. The only thing I really, really care about is just maintaining the window that the county season have. Now, I know that might sound unpopular, but like it's too big. It's too important for everybody. And it, it, it unifies everybody. Like, so like this club stuff is class. We all love playing club. We all love watching club. But, and you were talking about the drama that was coming in on Monday, right? But we don't all have an opinion on that drama because we haven't seen it for most, for the most part. We're just getting reports from different counties and whatever else. And, and that's fine, but I don't think that's sustainable if you if you reduce the county window. Like, you know, the same way we all love playing five-a-side, but we're all unified by the Ireland team. Like, we all watch the inter-county games and we all have an opinion on it. And I just think, like, that's the beauty of it. Like, having that in the background and having these arguments and thoughts about the inter-county game the whole way through the year. Like, that's that's the best thing. So whatever whatever you want to do with it, just keep that window. Yeah. So what window do you mean? Like just if it's February to August or whatever it is, I just I just don't like I, I get worried about when people start saying just play the championship and leave it at that. Do you know it's like come on, like we need way more than that for the county game because uh, you know, yeah. the club purists just want to get rid of the the county game or that's what they say. I think they would regret it. If they didn't. Yeah, I think that I do agree with the the CPA split. I think from maybe February until mid to late August or mid to late July is fair, and then you have August, September, October, November, yeah. and. The, you know, with the All Ireland Club final in mid December, I think that I don't think too many people would be in opposition to that split. And I do think that RTE actually doing these games with pundits. We've suggested this for donkey's years, um, and now that you see that it can be done and people do sit down, I take your point completely, Conan. That it's look, it's not the same. It'll never be the same as the intercounty game. It just won't quality-wise, interest-wise, but at the same time, it's still GEA. It's the window, and people love mm. it. And I keep saying that when that hits provincial club stage and we have an RT Sunday game on the Saturday night and TG Cahar on the Sunday, for me, that's kind of the big time. And the all semi semi-final then rolling on. And it look, again, it won't be the inter-county, but it's not like the GEA will be losing its prom- you know promotional opportunity. In actual fact, the GEA will have... Uh, you know, be have uh, have a window on national television all year round under under this split season. Testify, yeah. So there's no opposite. There's no opposition here to that, anyways. Connor, what do you think of that? 
No, the only thing I was going to say about like Conan was talking about kind of keeping the intercounty window, which which I get, but like it doesn't have to be necessarily as long as it has been up to this point, which I think everybody would be in agreement like that maybe like starting at starting January with all the provincial competitions and then and then going on so far. Like I I get what he means in that like you know people were probably putting too much importance on the club game based on what we've had for the last couple of months, which was which was out of, you know, which is out of completely unprecedented circumstances. But what what RD, what the GA and what the, the TV companies should have realized, I suppose, is that that the the opportunity should be there to place more emphasis perhaps than they have. But like TG, TG Carr have been doing it the whole time. RD have only kind of come to the game um, maybe in the last couple of years uh, particularly. But but that, that when the inter-county season is over, I don't think anybody's going to mistake that the club season is going to be nearly as big as the inter-county season but that there will be still an appetite and people will be happy to have it once the inter-county season is over. Yeah, and I suppose, uh, like, I mean, I need to specify that for hurling, it's the exact same. Right now, with hurling, we have a national league and then we have another league for the championship. Under, like, a split-season proposal, why not do the hurling exactly like the football? Play your provincial knockout championship first and then have a national league. Like, I mean, the national league and hurling, the two first two divisions have six teams in it. You could go six and six and have five championship games to get into quarterfinals for your All-Ireland. Or you could join the two of them up and maybe have 10 teams and have nine championship games. Like, the football will have seven. So the hurling could either have five based on, you know, two sixes, or they could have, you could make it 10, for example, and have nine games. Like, that's your league championship then played in the summer and your knockout provincial championship with that all or nothing, you know, kind of element to it kept bang when the season starts up. Let's get, you know, get the preseason done and try and win this provincial championship and offer some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of bonus for winning it. I, d- I do think that that's definitely um, the way to go, the way to go forward. Brian Fenton has been talking about supporters and he's been talking about, he says, I'm dreading uh, the rush for tickets, to be honest, because people come out of the woodwork at the best of times um, for tickets. That's with 82,000 people. I think no matter what, a crowd will add to the occasion. I think the crowd in the stadium will adapt and be as loud as possible. And then I was thinking, like, Conan, like, this is the first season where Dublin will not have the majority of support in any game in the championship, because if there's only, say, 2,000 allowed in Croke Park, number one, will it even be in Croke Park? And number two, there is no county that won't be able to take one half of that 2,000, you know, because usually when it's in Croke Park, like the likes of Leash or Kildare might take 5,000 and then the other 40,000 are from Dublin. They have the whole hill, you know, like, I mean, in one way, it's a great chance for Dublin to prove that the Croke Park crowd is not an advantage for them. I think, yeah, I think they've enjoyed having to do stuff like that in the past. Like, you know, when they had to come out of Dublin to play a game. Remember, they went up to Oma for the Super 8 match. And I think were they already through, but they were sort of intent on going up there and, and winning just to show that, mm. you know, they, they can do it. Like, especially on a on a cold midweek night in Tyrone or whenever it was. But um, the only thing I would say about that is I remember going to Dublin games. And, like, you've played in these Dublin games as well, like, where... The crowd or the deterrent on them, you know, when the team wasn't good. And like I was sitting, like people would be roaring awful abuse of people like Kieran Whelan and stuff like that, where it's like, yeah, I used to think, Jesus, like it must be awful playing in front of that, that crowd. And you know, the team got really good despite that. And now, obviously, the crowd, I do agree, the crowd does help now. But 
I think the the crowd can just as easily be bad, like depending on what the team's like. And I think the team have just risen on their own. But sure, you already know that. Yeah, well, they have. Well, I suppose they have kind of gotten over that nervousness that they used to spread through the crowd. I do agree that that did um, kind of work against them, but that's not the case now. If Dublin are five points now down that crowd isn't getting on their backs now that crowd is starting to support them to get them back in the game so like they did that through their own kind of winning mentality so I don't think that kind of is there but I definitely listen there's no sport in the world where the majority of supporters is not an advantage I don't Mm. think anybody um, would argue with that so maybe they can disprove that Fenton goes on and he's talking about even in the club games there'd be 10 subs or whatever he said if they celebrate a score you can still hear it maybe it's all relative but you can still hear it we were playing Ballyboden and I got turned over all these subs literally roaring and that's the same feeling as an inter-county full stadium and what, what's the kind of joke uh, Connor? it's easier for like you know to perform in front of a hundred thousand people than it is in front okay. of maybe a hundred people in a small venue i'm just thinking of brian fenton after all he's won and all you know the crowds he's played in front of getting turned over in front of 10 subs really pissed him off and it's stuck in his mind I just can't believe that Brian Fender got turned over. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe the reaction was not that they were roaring, that they were so surprised. It was more shock than actually kind of give it to Brian Fenton. But geez, I don't know about Brian Fenton. He knows more than me about the difference between uh, an empty stadium and 82,000 people. But I'd, I'd, I'd be thinking that a crowd can absolutely affect a player's mindset, that it's, it's not absolutely, it's not the same between getting turned over in front of 10 subs for the opposition and getting turned over in front of a massive crowd. You know, it's, like Brian Fenton is probably so steeled mentally that it doesn't affect him at this stage. But it absolutely is the case that, you know, some people, the reaction of the crowd, be it, be it positive, they can, they can, you know, they can get some encouragement off it or it can absolutely drain their confidence whatsoever. And obviously some are, some are more mentally strong than others. But, but yeah, the, the surprising, the, the, the main thing I took out of that was that Brian Fenton actually got turned over the club game. So well done to the one or maybe five people that had to do that. <laughs> But, wait, wait, have you have you had that? Have you had um that that crowd? You know when you give the ball away and you, you just hear the oh. <laughs> have you have you had that in a big stadium? Uh, in the big stadium, it kind of gets drowned out. Maybe they will cheer the turnover rather than give out to you. You know, but like I mean, I do accept that if you're over beside the opposition, kind of you know they're along the line and they have a few subs and you make a mistake and they cheer that, that would piss you off more. It's just more in your face than even in Crow Park yeah. because you wouldn't really have that kind of maybe hate, hateful reaction in Grove Park. You know, you, you, the other crowd will just kind of cheer you on rather than really getting in your face cheering. So I kind of identified a bit about, you know, something happening close enough to the opposition's side of the field. And that is demoralising. You in a, in a funny way, when you get turned over and they, they kind of do that to you, it makes you not want to chase. It makes you kind of want to feel that, ah, oh, whatever, rather than, oh, this that's really bothered me. I'm going to run back after him. I don't know if I'm making <laughs> sense there, Colin. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. You sort of want to get out of the picture as well. Like, you know, sometimes I feel like he, they're almost laughing more at you after you've had it turned over and then you're away running after it then as well. Yeah, yeah it's like you're proving them right. Oh, he's, ah, he got yeah. you and you're back tearing after him to make up for the mistake. Yeah. Instead, I just walk on, ah, whatever, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even really want that ball, anyways. <laughs> okay, lads. I want to move on to some refereeing in Cork here because I was sent these last week by by more than one person. So it actually kind of uh, made me get interested in it. And there were two dreadful refereeing errors in um, Airog, which is Daniel Goulding's club. He scored two seven and uh, Kiss Keem. So this game was won by uh, one three. It was uh, two thirteen to one ten, and the two goals. 
that A-Rogue were, were given were just completely dreadful, absolutely dreadful. One was a kick in, a player, the, the, refer- the player caught the ball, the referee blew that a mark is there available, the player put up his hand. Uh, by the time the player hit the ground, everybody had stopped because when the referee blows the whistle and you put your hand up to claim that mark, that's a mark. The advantage is over at that stage. This fellow just continued on. All the defenders had stopped. He threw it across to Daniel Gould in goal, right? And an even worse one um, was the next example in that a goalkeeper caught the ball. He played it out to a defender. Um, as the goalkeeper had passed it out, the ball was moving on out the field. But there was some verbals with one of the, the Aerog forwards and the goalkeeper ran into him and knocked him on the ground. And the referee gave a penalty for that. It was an off-the-ball incident, nowhere near the ball, and he decided that that was a penalty. Like, Conan, I tweeted these out. I know you have seen them. Like, these are two absolutely dreadful refereeing decisions. Yeah, and, like, the the Mark one as well, it's just the, it's just the inconsistencies that the law referees are, are bringing to it. I remember the Ballymun game, just, like, and just these are innocuous ones, but Dean Rock was definitely one player who called for a mark and didn't get it when he should have. The ball was about a 40-metre pass, and he caught it just inside the 45, and the ref probably probably didn't realise it. And then just what you're saying there about that first goal that Daniel Goulding scored, um, somebody else had called the mark, and then they decided to play on then as well. So... Like, you know, another referee then might just bring him back and tell him to, to take his free kick or because he called for it and the game has stopped. It's just like when when that's happening over and over, and this is a year into it, then it's yeah, it's just it's it's completely unfair for the other players, and it's probably a bit unfair for the referees as well. But like they're they're making a bit of a balls of it. Well, that's the thing because Kevin Feely has been tweeting about this, uh, Connor, and he says the forward mark rule in football really has been a shambles since it was brought in. Literally every second referee you come across has a different definition on the ruling of it, and to be fair to refs, it's hopeful, hopelessly ambiguous. Worse again, it's now affecting the ruling of the midfield uh, mark. So, like, I mean, I'm in agreement. I've seen enough club games now to know that this mark adds nothing to the game, in my opinion. Um, like, I mean, it's not a skill to catch the ball into your into your stomach. There is confusion around the whole idea that if you don't call a mark, you can't be tackled for four steps because that's not happening. The play just continues on. There's no need for it in the game in its current uh, ruling unless the kick pass is made longer and there's some kind of spectacular element to it. How is it benefiting the game, Connor, on the evidence so far from what we've seen? No, I don't see it. I, the biggest eyesore for me um, is when somebody may, might be literally just outside the 45 and they kick a straight pass, uh, maybe 20 yards to somebody who's not even been marked. And that person could just catch the ball and put up their hand and has a free shot of goal, which is that's not within the that's not within the spirit of the law. The spirit of the rule was brought in for, as you said, spectacular catches by a full forward say Kieran Donaghy in his pomp who as soon as he caught the ball might have landed and been surrounded by four people they were they were able to get the ball off him and they get a free out Do you know it was it was to reward high fielding like that whereas at the moment that's the, the, the way it's been the way it's been used is that like like players under no pressure at all um, are, are able to just call a mark and have a free shot and goal and that's before you get into the interpretation of the refereeing which is what Kevin Feely picked out there and what you've what you've mentioned I mean like it really is the case that like every referee has a different interpretation to the point that like some of them either don't seem to realize that if it's kicked from a sideline ball or kicked from a free kick you can't call a mark um, you know loads of other different different interpretations and I, I get what Kevin Feely is saying as well the, the difference that it's made to the difference that it's made to midfield fielding 
So the the midfield mark, which I think everybody has welcomed, is like and it has rewarded high feeling. I think, uh, as far as I can see, it's been very positive. But now there's added confusion over that because of the added confusion that's caused over the over the advanced mark. And, yeah, and, 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 and just on the midfield mark, it's so great because it's usually a long, it has to be a long kick. It's not yeah. like it's not like a 20-metre catch to the corner back can be rewarded in a mark. That's bullshit. That's not why, yeah. like, if the midfield mark was that, it would be gone long ago. The midfield mark is great because you have to be outside the 45 to be able to catch yeah. the bloody thing. So there is an element of having to earn your mark. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but that's the problem is that, that because of the confusion that, that that's drawn up over the advance mark, that spread to the uh, to the midfield mark, which was there was nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Um, but that's like I don't know. I just I, I I like I've played in a few games with it now, and like you know, like there is obvious benefits for like people who have big full forwards, and maybe it encourages them to go more direct. But for the most part, I haven't seen anything that would convince me that this. Uh, the advance mark is a better rule than 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 what we had than what we had previously. To be honest, and it's yeah. you said it's it's even different from the woolly mark, uh, woolly, which you would have um, which you would have pushed for a long time, which as you said as well would would reward a more it's a, it's a longer kick. It's probably lean, lean, leans to a more spectacular catch. But at the moment, I don't know. I I I, I don't think it's really working. And I'd say most people, if you ask them, would probably be in agreement with what Kevin Feely had to say there. Yeah. Well, you see the 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 mark, the mark that I was thinking of. I, this was back in two thousand and fifteen that I started thinking about how can we improve the game, that these zonal defenders are an eyesore. It's horrible to watch. You you kick a ball in and some fella surrounded by four lads that turn you over and they counter-attack. Can, is there no way of rewarding that fella that's caught that ball? You know, and, and maybe the, the zonal fellas will have to push out on the kicker then. And there was a whole theory behind bringing it in. Like, I'm not sure all those things are needed in the game now, Conan, because the zonal players are pretty much... Um, done away with you know there isn't that same uh, surrounding the same players because you know players are pressing all over the field a little bit more so from that point of view one of the reasons I wanted the mark to come in they're all gone the only kind of reason you want the mark potentially to come in from outside the 45 inside the 20 is maybe two or three times a half maybe one or two times a half there might be a bit of excitement of a good catch caught and a mark got Outside of that, I'm I'm I I don't think the mark is needed at all now <laughs> in the game really. Even my one, I don't. I think we should just do away with the whole bloody thing. Yeah, no, you're right. It sort of sort of just evolved over time, like didn't it? And yeah, it moved away from that. Like I mean, and you talk about copycat managers, like what? It's nothing to do with the mark. The game changing. The game is changing because Dublin and Kerry. The All-Ireland Finals last year, every manager in the country, the penny will have dropped. And they're all copycats. And they say, this is how you play Gaelic football. This is how you win. Yeah. Like, you're rewarded for turning players over. You're rewarded for winning their kickouts. You're not, you're not rewarded for letting a team hit a ball wide. Like, you know, by getting every player in front of your post and making them take a bad shot. Like, like that's going to be necessary sometimes. But that's not how you win a game. And people have finally started to see that. And just on, like, the... The kickout mark. The big difference with that is that it's it's not breaking down an attacking move either. Like you know, like Connor said about somebody just taking a handy mark and putting their hand up, or Dean Rock taking one at the age of the forty-five and just taking a free and just it stops the game. The kickout mark, as you said, it's rewarding a long kickout and it's cleaning up that area in the middle of the pitch and it's actually speeding the game up because it's getting everybody out of there instead of just fouling each other. Whereas the the attacking mark at the minute, and probably in any form, even even the the Willie mark, which we were all but like we were all supporting, um, it's just it's just stopping an attacking play. And as we've seen, like you know, people like Mark Bradley just ignoring it and going on. It just makes more sense just to continue and keep playing. 
Yeah, yeah. So just I hope there's an option to get rid of the bloody thing because it's not Gaelic football the way it is now and it's it's absolutely desperate. Just finally, before we get to Zach Tuhi, um lads, Kerry have rejected RTE again. So they did this last um, last year and we could kind of understand it last year because they get about 10,000 in through the gate um, into the actual stadium, whatever they, they charge then and they're making a good killing and you understand that. They've rejected them this year. This will tell you how bad the offer from RT must be, that they've actually rejected them this year based on the amount of people that might subscribe to the live stream. And, um, Connor, like, I mean, Jesus, RTE, what is going on here? You cannot beat um, a potential revenue that a streaming product can actually uh, give the Kerry County Board. I'd love to. I'd love to know what like what's offered for these for these club games because like if 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 that is the reason, then it does it does seem like it. Like you'd imagine that the most that Kerry would Kerry could make out of this would be let's say if they charge they'd probably charge a fiver. I I doubt they'd charge any more than a fiver per match, and maybe what would you get it to five thousand, ten thousand people? So you'd be making maybe. Uh, listen, you would you wouldn't get you, you're you're getting ten thousand to go in and watch it. You're not getting ten thousand to watch the stream. You'd be lucky if you get two or three thousand, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, I'm just going on the the, the Mayo semi-finals. Well, at their height there a couple of weeks ago, had about five thousand. That was for the Ballinan Knockmore game. So uh, you'd imagine the county final, and especially maybe with divisional teams as well, that there might be more interest because there's representatives of various clubs too, as opposed to it just being um, one club against another. But uh, but it's, I, yeah. it's like it's ready for the rest of us that we just we just don't get to see it. And even like the product that I'm sure Kerry, Kerry TV is fine. But we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that it just it won't compare to whatever RTE would have to offer, especially with 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 the analysis and, and production and all that, uh, that sort of stuff as well. So pity for the rest of us. But uh, we just have to just have to get our uh, get our Kerry TV subscription and bring it up to maybe 10,000. Yeah, exactly. Right. We'll leave it there, lads. And uh, we'll come back with Zach Tuhi. he gave me back then was he, we were in the Glenroy on a night out and he, I'd never met him before and he put his arm around me and he said you won't go too far wrong if you win the ball and give it to me I said alright well okay that's great advice yeah, it was <laughs> for you So he's just hit 200 appearances in Australian rules. It's Zach Tuhi. What an achievement, Zach. Yeah, thanks, Willie. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's kind of crept up. Um, doesn't seem that long ago I played my first game. So, yeah, quite pleased with myself. And, like, I mean, have you processed how big an achievement it is, though? Like, I mean, it's not just Irish, an Irish player. It's only 5% of professional players in the AFL reach 200. Yeah, I guess that I have heard that figure over the course of the last sort of week. Um, yeah, it is strange. I do remember playing with Satanta early in my career and he used to always say 100 games was what he wanted to achieve. You know, he thought that would be remarkable. And um, I guess, I mean, I've been lucky with injury, as you know, and yeah. that's half the battle really. Like, So I kind of got through the first 100 reasonably quick and then, I don't know, I've just been kind of plodding away, ticking them off. Yeah, has it been something like, has it been on your mind that you're creeping up to it? I know you had a rib injury that had to postpone the 200. Like, has it, like I suppose it's just, you know, reaching that milestone and you're thinking about it maybe too much, no? 
Not really, no. I mean, once I got to within a couple of weeks of it, I, I did start to think about it, and um, I knew Ty Ty had fallen just short of that game's total, so that kind of put it a little bit in perspective for me because obviously Ty was the guy making making waves out here when I was kind of growing up, I suppose. So I started to think about it a little bit in the in the build up to it, but no, I can't say I gave it a huge amount of thought. Um, kind of this year generally. Right. Okay. Connor on the show here, the G-Long did a video for you. Um, you must have got a little bit emotional watching that. Connor on the show got emotional. Um, I didn't really, but at the same time, it was nice. <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. <laughs> I didn't either. It didn't bother me. Um, <laughs> um, no, I did. The, the, um, we watched it before the game, and, and I'd seen it myself a few days before that, and I watched it myself in the room alone um, <laughs> before they published it on social media. And I was kind of going all right until it got to my parents. And then obviously it finished with the the two lads. Um, and that got me because at that stage, I hadn't seen them for 10 weeks. They hadn't gotten here yet. So, um, yeah, it was nice. It was lovely to see. Um, and some of, the, some of the footage I saw of me in my first couple of years, I can still kind of remember. And it doesn't seem that long ago, but kind of brought it full circle in a nice way. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, the Portlaoise accent on you in the video when you're running young fella. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what it's worth, this I, I cop an awful time about this when I go home. I promise you, hand on heart, it's not conscious. I'm not doing it on purpose. It's uh, My hand was forced in the early days when nobody could understand me and it was constant mockery. So, yeah, I've kind of, I've got some weird twang now. Yeah, I'm not sure really what it, what it what it is. It's definitely different. Um, whatever it is, that was that was the thing though in the video because, like you said, you hadn't seen them in in ten weeks, the family and everything, and you're you're just in quarantine with the team in a hotel. Yeah, so we, so we we left initially. We we're only supposed to be gone for a month, um, but things in Victoria got worse over the course of that month, so we couldn't go back basically. Um, so yeah, they they didn't come for that initial month. And then all of a sudden we were shipped somewhere else in Australia for another month. And yeah, it kind of got to the 10 week mark and there was an opportunity to bring them up. But they, even once they got up here, they had to go and quarantine them two weeks. So I didn't see them for that two weeks. And right. yeah, it just, it just kind of built um, the time. But yeah, at that stage it had been 10 weeks and I hadn't seen them. Um, and I only, they only just got to the hotel two or three days ago. Right. Okay. Jeez, and that must've been difficult because I presume they're in lockdown in Melbourne then as well. So Melbourne's in a much more um, severe lockdown than the rest of Australia, um, which is why we had to get out. In fact, you know, all the teams had to get out of Melbourne. Right. Um, based, every team in the league is based in Gold Coast at the minute in Queensland. So, um, yeah, because because it was so bad in Victoria, you just couldn't play games there. And it just became a really um, significant logistical problem to get all the families out as well. And, yeah, this was as quick as, as I could do it. Right, okay. So, like, I mean, every team, are you near each other all day? AFL teams in hotels in the Gold Coast are spread out. No, there is. Well, we're not. We're fine. But um, there are some teams who are bunking bunking together in different hotels because, as you can imagine, we can't mix with public either in these hotels. So, um, yeah, each each club either has a hotel to themselves um, or it's a sizable hotel that's shared. But, yeah, it's, it's a... It was a huge financial burden for the AFL to get all these teams out of Melbourne because there's 10 of them, you know, so. Oh, yeah. So, like, I mean, that's incredible. So even for the cost of it, even to book out a hotel, because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, are fans back, allowed back into games? I know you all took pay cuts um, back a while ago. I don't know if they're restored. Like, I, mean, I presume financially it's a huge burden. 
massive, yeah. I'm not sure exactly what the figure is, but you're talking probably tens of millions for the AFL to get all the teams out and put in hotels. And um, with the crowds at games, there's only, I'm not sure exactly what the figure is, but um, it's not even half capacity, I, I don't think. Um, and hopefully over the course of the next six weeks, that'll increase because finals is obviously the, you know, the, the big stuff. Um, but yeah, financially, everyone's taking a, a really big hit. Um, and the AFL has, has forked out to keep the season alive because the alternative is lose probably hundreds of millions. In in TV kind of revenue and stuff. Yeah, the, the, the TV deal is the big one. Um, and obviously, if there's no games being televised, that is more than a more than just a significant amount of money. You are you are talking four or five hundred million lost on top of the probably four hundred million the league has lost already. Right, right. Okay. So I'm sure you love your teammates and all that, but like ten weeks uh, stuck together in a hotel, um, you know, little bit ten, few in, in <laughs> ten, ten. Ten, yeah. <laughs> How are relationships are they breaking down and and building back up and all that kind of stuff. Oh God! Don't put. Yeah, it's it's not been too bad. It's not been too bad. We're fairly well looked after, and um, like we can still get out and go golfing, and we can still. Um, we're just like sharks. We're not allowed. We're not allowed to stop anywhere. We can go for a walk along the beach, but we can't sit on the beach, and we can go and get essentials from the shops, but we can't browse. And it's um it's an unusual set of circumstances. But look, like I said, our cooking's done for us, our washing's done for us, and we can golf. So it's not that bad. No, it's definitely not too bad. So that's the thing. Like, I mean, you've all been tested, and even like even I suppose going into a shop, I'm surprised you're allowed to do that. If that 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 would be slightly risky if one of you were to bring something back in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it is, but I, the alternative is basically that full on quarantine for twelve weeks, and yeah, that was kind of never going to get over the line from anyone's point of view. Just for, I mean, for nothing else, for mental health. Um. So yeah, there's. We can we can live we can get out and about, um, but it's we, I mean we get tested twice a week every week and we have done for probably fifteen weeks now so I'm not sure there's a safer group of people in the country than us. Right, okay, and that's fair. And like like you said, so where's the family staying? Are they being put up then as well when they come up to you? Yeah, they're in the hotel with me here now. Um, ah, okay, quite a, few, quite a few of the players have their families here now. Right. Okay. So, like, I mean, that's thrown a. Obviously, for passing the time, you know what I mean. There's no better way to keep busy than to bring the two children up. Yeah, I thought I missed them until they got here. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately regretted that decision. No, it's nice to have them. Yeah, come here. So you're you're flying again this season. Like, I mean, your form Mm -hmm. is fantastic. Last season, you had a bit of a a knee injury, even though you had a great season last season as well. Um, It's kind of taken off for you as you've hit 30 already. You don't seem like you're slowing down Uh, at all. Yeah, I did. I carried, well, like I said, Willie, I've been very lucky with injuries, but I did carry uh, a knee injury through most of last year, and it's I still have to manage it, but um, did a full pre-season, which can't be underestimated. Um, had a slight shift in position, which is refreshing because I've been a career defender and um, been pushed up the ground a little bit. So that was refreshing as well. And it always helps when the team is playing well. Uh, and right at the minute, although we didn't win on the weekend, um, we're probably putting together a couple of months of football. That's as good as we've played since I've been at the club. So we're there or thereabouts this year, no doubt. So what's the story with being pushed up the field? I was reading that, that you were tried in the forwards, but then you were put back into the defence again. I was wondering, Jesus, that hasn't worked out too well for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, not, it's not a huge 
like my role actually hasn't changed very much in many ways, but I'm just doing it a small bit higher up the ground. Um, it's still kind of a, I suppose, a defensive minded role. It's a lot of transition running from one end of the ground to the other. Um, so in, in that sense, I'm still doing the same thing. But yeah, I am. I've started started playing a bit in the forward line, started playing a bit in the midfield um, and far less time down back, which, like I said, not, nothing's changed in terms of what I'm actually doing, but it's in a different spot on the ground. And after 10 or 11 years playing, that's kind of refreshing. You, you've definitely is, yeah. You've, you've used that transition word that is, has crept into Gaelic football um, analysis as well. And I was looking at some highlights of the Richmond game, which he lost last week, and it was a low-scoring game and mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, is is this the buzz in Australian rules now as well? Kind of defending numbers and then transition, you know, with more of a running game. Yeah, it's been, um, I mean, it kind of came in a number of years ago. Um, and it, it comes in waves, you know, whenever a team has success playing a certain way, it tends to, other teams tend to emulate that. Um, and right at the minute, yeah, there's a, a big focus on the kind of zonal defence and transition stuff. But um, your, your kind of hands are bound because when one team does it particularly well, you just have to do it because the alternative is they'll put a huge score on you because you won't be able to get it out of your back half. Or yeah. That's how it is here. Um, so you kind of have to fight fire with fire. And the result of that can sometimes, although not always, but sometimes can be a, a slightly more dour affair Um at least to those who maybe don't, you know, appreciate the the tactics of it um, and just want to see high scoring games. But look, for the most part, I still think it's a great spectacle. But yeah, it is. There's a lot of this defensive transition focus. That's the thing, and then just you know breaking breaking forward through the hands rather than what we're used to with Aussie rules. I I would have thought like the the you know the threat of a good mark could kick it over those zonal fellas, anyways. Yeah, you can, but the idea of transition is that everybody tends to flood back and get in that match really hard. Um, right. The idea, I mean, people press incredibly high up the ground and try and turn it over in their forward half. Um, and then and drift back with that, the play. You just, even if they're able to drive it out of their back half as far as they possibly can, at that stage, you're still not even halfway up the ground because the ground is so big, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, um, yeah that's the idea. Try and turn it over in your forward half and, and lock it in. I, I don't know if you've seen much Gaelic football, but we've brought that mark in. Um, I wouldn't be a huge fan of it. Like, lads are catching a ball. Like I don't know. There's kind of something about catching a Gaelic football into your belly from 20 metres away and getting rewarded for it. It's not something that you should even be rewarded for. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't um, seen it in use a whole lot. But, like, my opinion on these, and it's the same over here, is that I just never think the product's as bad as the rest of the world seems to think it is. I always think if you give it times, it'll you know the wrongs that people are perceiving will right themselves, and um, I'll be very very careful about rule changes. I think they have to be done. They have to be very very calculated with them. Right. Um, but I agree with you. A twenty meter kick getting paid a mark just doesn't um, won't pass the eye test for me. No, it's definitely like I mean it's and then there's confusion with referees and putting hands up and you know whether because you're you're supposed to you, you can play on if you don't take the mark and you're not allowed to be tackled for four steps. Look, it's just com- it's it's a it's a definitely an added complication into Gaelic football and like you'd be worried that an All Ireland final could be decided on a chap taking a, a kick into his into his belly in the last minute. Yeah, it, it's not right. It, it doesn't seem right. And it's not a great spectacle is the other thing. If you're trying to improve the look of the game, there's plenty of rules, small little rules you could change here and there to improve it as a spectacle. 
Um, I just don't think that's one of them. Or at least if you're going to pay a mark, pay it over 40 meters. It's got to be a long kick that yeah. takes something actually remarkable to to hold on to. Um, but you're, yeah, it's it's not going to improve the look of the game. And I don't know if that's where the game should go. Yeah. So suppose you're an OG in terms of Irish players out there now. Are all the new players coming out giving you a ring for a little bit of advice? Um, I saw Mark O'Connor thanking you. You're obviously at the same club, but would you get random phone calls from uh, young fellas going out the same as you were 10 years ago? Yeah, occasionally, yeah. There's a group message with most of I, all of the Irish guys in it, I think. Um, but yeah, over the course of the last couple of years, I'll every now and then get a message or go for a coffee with um, maybe some of the Melbourne-based uh, Melbourne Irish lads. Um, so, I mean, it's, 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 it feels a little bit like we're all in it together, you know, so, um, and everyone's very, very contactable these days. So, yeah, it's happened quite a few times over the last few years that I've, I've gone and met with a few of them. All right, so I didn't know there's a, an Irish players in Australia WhatsApp group. So did Conor yeah. McKenna leave the group there just recently, or is he still on it? Um, he's still in it. Kieran Sheen's still in it, and Kieran Burner's still in it. So I think McKenna's got a few, <laughs> a few years of credit. <laughs> come here, how come you haven't tried his dummy solo? Like, I mean, that's in your armory. It is, I know. I I just, like, I know it looks... <laughs> I know it looks great when he does it, but I'm not sure it's that many situations where it's it's practical. He found brilliant use for it against Adelaide one day. <laughs> he just popped it. He just soloed it for no reason the next day. It was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I get if um, if he can sell a dummy and step around some of it. He was doing it when there's no one around him. And I did actually ask the umpires over here years ago um, when it was raining really heavily if if I was running down the wing instead of bouncing it, because obviously it's it's tricky enough to bounce. It's tricky enough to bounce when it's dry. Yeah. Uh, but it's really risky when it's wet. And I said, if I was running down the wing, can I kick it to myself? Can I solo it to myself? Would that count as a play of the ball and, you know, save me having to bounce it? Because obviously growing up with GA, I, I could do that at full speed and it wouldn't slow me down and da-da-da. Apparently it wouldn't count as a play on the ball, um, which when you're talking about little rules that would improve the spectacle of the game, like I just said, I think the AFL could take a leaf of the GA's book because I think that would look that's a remarkable, you know, spectacle um if you were to introduce it instead of bouncing because I think it would take off after one generation. Yeah, it wouldn't look too bad. So you're telling me McKenna was doing this loads of times. We only see the spectacular ones at home yeah, here yeah. in Ireland. <laughs> I'm sure he did it a couple of times this year. Uh, <laughs> it was bloody funny. He's um he marches to the beat of his own drum, Connor. Um, but super talented and would, will be missed. Hopefully, he, um, I mean, he'll slide straight back into the Tyrone senior team, I would have thought, but um, there might be a chance he ends up back in Australia at some stage. Yeah, you wouldn't put it, you wouldn't put it past him. Come here, you're in the last year of your contract. Like, I mean, you're 31 in December. Um, mm. What, like, are you currently negotiating with the club? And, you know, what's more important to you now is the length of the next contract, you know, more important yeah. than the salary, for example? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Negotiations are are going on, and look, I think I've got at least a couple of years left. Um, I think the club are pretty happy with me, although nothing's finalised. Um, so, I mean, at this stage, realistically, you're on sort of borrowed time. Um, you know, I, I kind of understand that, um, but I think I've got. I, I feel like I've got quite a few years left in me, um, but I certainly am hoping to get at least a, a couple of years um, at Geelong, and then. To be honest, Willie, I'd say whatever contract I get next, I will work off the assumption that um, it's my last. I hope it's not. I'll try and get another one after that again. But um, I'll set myself for that being maybe my last contract. And then um, if it's not happy days, but if it is, I'll be 
I'll be right to go for Portlaoise the following year. <laughs> well, we need you back now. Like, I mean, definitely yeah, need yeah. need uh, need some need some quality in the forward line. Not to. Uh, okay be too critical of the forward line Catalan can't stay bloody fit anyway so that's a that's that's a big problem for us yeah well I, I've he's, the opposite said of you. he's the opposite of you yeah he's the anti <laughs> uh, yeah I've always said I go back and play I would 100% play with Port Leash um, again as long as my kind of body lets me in and I still really want to play for Leash I never played a championship game for Leash so that would be nice but again that's all um, body permitting I'm not getting any younger, as you pointed out. <laughs> well, that's it. So, like, I mean, is there a policy in Aussie rules that over 30s only get a two-year contract? You know, I'm thinking of Arsenal here. It's just jumping to my mind. Yeah. Like, is there... Yeah. Not, um, no, not necessarily. It's just the nature of the beast. You know, it's it's an incredibly taxing game. And, um, you know, I mean, you're only ever one significant or semi-serious injury away from probably hanging up the boots once you get to a certain age. Um, but, no, it, it, it that... Typically is the case that you get one and two year deals. Um, right. But players far more exceptional than me may get longer contracts than that. Right. Okay. So you've, I was reading that there'll be three more seasons to get the, the games to get past Jim Stein. So that's the that's your next target now. You, you've breezed yeah. past Canelli and you've Steins in your sights. <laughs> oh, yeah. Breezed past Canelli. Left in the book. <laughs> I'm, not sure I'll pass, I'm not sure I'll catch Jim, but it would be nice. You would need well if your plan comes if you get two years more with Geelong and you're thinking of maybe another one, you would like yeah. the, at the at the rate you're kind of eating up the games, you would you know, you would go past that. But then you, you don't know again, like you could get an injury in the next two you know, if you're to extend the yeah, contract. Yeah. Like as I said, I'm uh, feeling the hits and the knocks a little bit more than I used to. Um but it, yeah, it would take three full seasons really to catch Jim. Um, which again, I'm, I'm certainly not writing off. I actually think I physically could play for four or five years, but um, those are famous last words when it comes to thirty plus year olds. And would people in would players in your position ever reach that age? Because like you're you're in a kind of all action area of the field. Um, yeah, there's a few. Yeah, there is a few. Um, but I guess not many. Again, if you were to put it in a you know percent of pl- players playing, I, I would say the bulk of players who have you know, reasonably long careers tend to pack it in between, I don't know, 31 and two, that sort of age. Uh, but of course you get the the rare exceptional type. In fact, there's a 38-year-old playing for Hawthorne who just signed a one-year contract extension. So, I mean, that's totally the extreme end of the scale, but it happens. Right. So I, suppose, I presume during the, the lockdown, you've been thinking, you're in the last year of your contract, you've been thinking of what you might potentially do after um the AFL like I mean you're doing podcasts over there like I mean is that something that interests you um I'm not sure punditry will be for you after lynching the Australian media the way you did about Conor McKenna um, yeah. <laughs> but is that is that something like a bit of broadcasting podcasting cross your yeah, mind I really enjoy it I do and I've always thought well if you can do it it's just <laughs> couldn't possibly be that hard um but it is I, I do enjoy it I I, I enjoy um like I enjoy conversations with um, with, with anybody in, in any field. But for example, if I was talking to um, a highly regarded sports person, the last thing I'd be talking about is the actual sport and, and more about the person. If you, if you get me the punditry, I'm not sure I'd be any good at it. I'd probably dip my toe in the water at some stage. But I, I'd probably see myself ending up back home, Woolly. And um, I dare say whatever it is I end up doing, I'll probably have a, a side gig trying to do some uh, – 
a bit of media work as well because that's that's what I enjoy most. Right. Well, listen, we'll be looking forward to you coming home, both for Port Leash and maybe a little bit of media work as well. So, come here, Zach. Thanks very much for taking the call. Best of luck. You're playing Sydney. Um, that'll be a handy one for you. But you need to get over this Richmond kind of blind spot as well if you want to get. Uh, if you're thinking of, uh, <laughs> if you're thinking of winning it out. Yeah, big game this weekend, and this could be the year. I hope it is. Listen, best of luck, Zach. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Wally. I'd never be allowed to go off and eat and have a shite like him and you know, a slob or whatever. Like, I was always doing a bit. I remember, all I remember is I thought I was going to get clobbered in the way in there. I threw the ball up in there. I don't know. It was, it was pure luck, no appearance. Pure luck. Ah, uh, but it's fucking bullshit. Have you seen yourselves? Okay, lads, so games at the weekend. So we've three county finals. There's loads of county finals on uh, this weekend. Like I say, it's all it's all starting to heat up. Three finals on TV. RT on Saturday night. We have Dune versus Napiershig at 7pm. Um, RT doing a Munster uh, club hurling match. Who would have thought it? Um, the big team news here, as we know, is Dara Donovan and Richie Eng- English are out for Dune. Dune have never won the, the county title in... In Limerick, they're playing the Piercing, who are one of the super super clubs. Um, I can't see how this is going anyway, other than the Piercing. To be honest with you, it would be difficult enough for Limerick to be doing it without Daryl Donovan and Richie English. Never mind their their own club team. They have lots of young lads coming up. Had a great win in the semi final, but at the same time, this is just not going to happen, Cannon. <laughs> just just as plain as that. It's a hard no from Willie. Um, it's it, there's a lot to be said though, isn't there, for like reaching the final without your your two your two big men? And I have now. I don't know. It was people just trying to send me off on a wild goose chase? But I was doing my inquiries, and I heard that uh, Darrow Donovan is a is a potential to make a return for the final in, in some state. But ooh, she's all those hurling sources you have. Jesus, <laughs> can I get your can I get your address book? <laughs> but um, Colin's li- Colin's little black book of hurling contacts. <laughs> It's very, very thin. Uh, <laughs> but I do know they have been what knocking on the door the last few years, and like they were in the final in 2018 semi final last year. So, like, I, I don't know. I just wouldn't write them off completely. Pat Ryan lorded it for him. He scored seven points the last day out. So, uh, you know, like they've got they've got they've got a bit about them. And in if Star O'Donnell, if my sources are correct, and we both play a bit, <laughs> then who knows? Well, that changes it. I'm still going for the piercing anyways. Then on TG Cahir on Sunday, we have two more finals. We have Lockmore Casalini going for the double. First leg is the hurling versus Kiladangan. Kiladangan obviously lost the final um, last year. Kiladangan are slight favourites um, for this one. Um, they, I, go, I, I, was, I, I contacted some of my, my, con, my hurling contacts uh, <laughs> Conan to get a little bit of information. We all know that Kiladangan are, are a young team. They won the 21 last year. They were very inexperienced in last year's final. We know their manager is saying that they want to atone for that, that that hasn't, that hasn't sat well with them, like not performing on the day um, against Boris Lee. We know Willie Connors makes them take in midfield. And one important point is last year they couldn't settle on a free taker. There were loads of different lads taking the, taking the freeze and they missed a good few against Boris Lee in the final. They have Billy Seymour now taking them, so at least they have a regular uh, free-taker. I don't know about Duke Connor, but you won't win anything without a regular free-taker, and is that not a guarantee? Because no matter what, when, when and you can actually 
switch a light in your head on the field. If you see two or three different lads taking freeze and they're missing them, it's all right to foul. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because you because well, you know that they haven't they haven't settled on a free taker themselves and that like confidence isn't going to be high. And that's that's not going to only affect them in the freeze. If somebody who had been taking freeze and is is missing them, uh it, it's going to affect them in general play as well. So the fact that Kildangan have sorted that out, um, you know, it should mean a lot for them as well. And the experience as a young team, the experience of, of having been in the final last year as well, they had a really good victory. Didn't they beat Drum and Inch in the semi-final really well as far as I remember so as long as so once they got the free deck and sorted they got that bit more experience now they just have to look after the McGraths but I think they're slight favourites and probably deservedly so for, for, for Sunday Who's favourites in Mayo then? So we have the second game on TG Cahir is the Mayo County Final both games live so 335 Brafie versus Knockmore uh, who, Who's going to be shitting at more going into this game? Because Knockmore haven't won it since 97 they've lost five finals since then Briefly, have never won it, and they've lost three of the last seven finals. Like, I mean, this is go- they're going to be both teams are going to be bags of nerves, are they? So, Brave, you're slight favourites, but what I would say on that, Willie, is that I the the Knockmore are a very young team, so I'm not sure how many of them. Obviously, you've Kevin McLaughlin, Peter, Peter Knockton, Darren McHale, I'd say Shane McHale as well from a couple more from the last final they lost, which was right. against Castle Bar. Yeah, yeah but there's still there's still pressure as a club, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like Jesus, we haven't won it, you know, and we we don't usually lose finals. Now we've lost, you know, that's I don't know. It might be going around players' heads. No, no, you're right there. But the, the one comparison I'd say, the 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 reason I was making that comparison, I'd say, is that a lot of the Brafey team have been around for all three of the finals that they've lost uh, since 2013. I think right. So, there, there might be a bit more kind of uh, baggage, bag, like with Brafey coming in. Brafey, you're a slight favourite as well. It's very slight favourites. I suppose they, they ended up coming out of the group of death, beating Mitchells, um, losing to Westport, drawing with Westport in the group, and then ended, ended up beating them in semi-finals. So I'd say that's what's kind of made them favourites. But it's very slight. I mean, I talked here, I think, about uh, Knockmore being very impressive against Ballina, and that was against them beating a kind of a tired-looking balance over team in the quarterfinal as well. I've just been very impressed with them all year. Any any bit I've seen of them, Willie, just they they play to a system. It's not overly defensive, but they tend to get a good few bodies back. Then they break at pace, and they have really impressive strike forwards in Peter Nocton and Aidan Orm in the corner. And then they've Darren McHale at centre forward. He scored two goals in the in the quarter final that was on RTE. Yeah. And then uh, Connell Dempsey, Ray Dempsey's uh, son as well, uh, plays a wing forward and just really is like an energizer one. He just gets up and down the pitch. So. Um, I have a slight inkling for for Knockmore. I didn't even mention Kevin McLaughlin's performance in the semi final as well. I have a slight inkling for them as well. I really think it's it's as simple as, and this sounds very straightforward, but it's how brave he managed Kevin McLaughlin and how Knockmore managed Aidan O'Shea. I really think that's going to make the difference. Jeez, I, I never I never would have guessed that bit of analysis, <laughs> yeah, uh, Connor. Like, I mean, that's why we have your local knowledge to lean on in Mayo. I realize how ridiculously simplistic this is, but you're coming off the back of Kevin McLaughlin uh, absolutely tearing Ballon out of shreds I'm only uh, joking I'm only joking I know I know I, I understood your I understood your point <laughs> come here talk to us about Kilshima Bala the might of Bala up from junior two years ago now going to win the intermediate your game's on Saturday is it or is it before the, the senior you know it's on Saturday it's actually been moved back to eight o'clock now um so it was meant to be at seven but because the uh because of the because of crowds being allowed now the junior final is going to be at five o'clock and they're going to wait for everybody to clear out so we can get, there can be 200 at the junior final, and then 200 for the uh, 
for the intermediate final as well. So yeah, we're on at eight o'clock under lights in in McHale Park on Saturday night. So she's a desperate and, amount of time. I mean, that's torturous for a county final waiting until eight o'clock that evening. Like I mean, geez, it's hard enough to wait till two o'clock for a county final with the nerves going. You'll be eating your breakfast, dinner, and tea before the bloody match. I might get four meals in. I think before <laughs> before the game, especially if, uh, especially if the little one has me up early on Saturday morning. Yeah, so it's like I think it's it might be the latest uh, latest uh, GA match. Uh, I've ever played so like yeah I mean that this week has been long enough so Saturday is going to crawl but I suppose at least uh, you know every we're, we're all in the same boat so it's going to be a really long day and then uh, and then yeah and then, and then by the time the, back to like 10 o'clock half 10 on Saturday night as well so that's what I mean the pubs will be even closed the pub the pub restaurants will be closed by the time you, you're you're marching down the street with the cup ready to go in and get your nine euro meal sorry there now lads uh, you know that's it half past ten the last orders you just go home and that's it that's probably going to be it. <laughs> or back, to a, back to a house party, that's it. Well, no, you yeah. see, you're not allowed more than how many in the gatherings, yeah. So, yeah, you're pretty much screwed. Six people from three households, yeah. So who who knows what the young fellas on, on our team, our ball team, have, have, have planned if uh, if it goes their way on Saturday night. But, like, at my age, Wally, come half ten on a Saturday night, I'm probably going to be happy to, to get to bed at that time. Maybe maybe a couple of drinks on Sunday anyway. But that's... Uh, yeah, it's going to be really weird finishing up at McHale Park at that time. It'll be probably 10, half, 10 before we get out of there. Oh, Connor, that sounds amazing. Like, you know, because we were talking about you retiring after this year as well. You know, imagine you just placing the little medal on your side cupboard and just going into bed of a good day's work and your, your career's finished. That's I tell you, hey, Connor, I told Willie I'd give him the exclusive on Monday, but not until then. <laughs> so there, my retirement until then. So the Mayo News podcast has been trying to start a bit of trash talk with us. Apparently one of their contributors plays with Bala. So not trying to add to the pressure on this, Connor, but if you don't win this on Saturday, just forget about any sort of phone calls um, ever again. (laughs) Especially on Monday morning. Yeah, Ger Flanagan, he writes for the Mayo News, so he does... uh... He does the Mayo News podcast as well. He was I haven't listened to it yet this week, but he was on it on Monday. So actually, uh, I don't know if you saw in the replies uh, to that uh, to that little bit of trash talk from that was Ed McGrail, uh, a Mayo News stalwart and a Mayo News podcast stalwart that that started that. But one of the replies was from a fellow I used to play with, Kelchima, uh, and he said that they're uh, they're referring to it as El Podcast El Podcastico, which uh, very good. <laughs> Very good. I saw that. All right. That was a classic. Yeah. El Podcastico. Come here. Just one thing Connor uh, said there, Conan, when he was talking about uh, Ray Dempsey's son playing a wing forward. Do you say that in Derry? Do you say a fella plays wing back or wing forward or do you say he plays a wing forward or a wing back? I've never heard a wing forward before. No. Oh, well, in leash now, in leash now, you'd say he plays a wing back. Why the A is put in there, I don't really know, but that's just what he, he plays a wing forward. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he plays, do, you, do you say he plays a centre-back? No, if he plays centre-back, you only play a wing-back or you play a wing... You don't even play a corner... You would play a corner... For, no, you play pretty much the wings, Connor, is it? Uh, well, no. So you, you at least, you say, plays a wing-forward and wing, and corner-forward. We say we, we don't put the a in there at all. You so said he plays a wing-forward. You no, actually said no, it. That's what reminded me. He's, uh, well, I thought I said wing forward. If I did say a wing forward, it's the first time I've ever said. It. <laughs> okay, well, I have to. Li- I have to listen back. Maybe that's just yeah, what yeah. it was. What I was trying to hear. Anyways, pre game nerves, Willie. Pre game nerves. <laughs> There's other, the other county finals to keep your eye out for, lads. Is the hurling final in Dublin, Coola, Ballyboden, a huge game there. 2018 champions versus 2019. You'd imagine Coola will come out of that one. Tyrone County final. Surprised this wasn't on television, uh, Conan. But I presume Tyrone, though, or for the same reasons as Kerry, Trillick and. Dun- 
Callum Gannon. You imagine Trillig will come out of that one. The Monaghan County final, a huge game here, Scottstown Bally Bay. You imagine Scottstown will win that one. Roscommon County final, St. Bridges versus Porrick Pierce's. Very big game as well. I'm de- I, I was interested to see Benny O'Brien, the St. Bridges manager, was quoted on GA.ie and he was talking about how they've gone, they've, they've, they've a really young team. Whenever you think of St. Bridges, you think of them struggling on a little bit with that brilliant 2012 All-Ireland winning team and they have um, they have eight or nine of their team were under 20 uh, last year. So they've gone back during the time, you know, as that team was losing, they'd already been doing good work at underage level. And now they're back with a senior team. Even in my head, it's still all that old team, but it's not. It's completely eight or nine under 20s and they've started all over again. So I'd be very interested, for example, to see them. Yeah, no, like that that's going to be a cracker. And not to, to drag it back to Ulster, but I was thinking about Connor when I saw the Trillig v Dungannon game because this is a good excuse for him not to retire. In 2014, <laughs> these two teams met in the intermediate final and now they're meeting in the senior final. Dungannon actually won that day as well. So, Connor, six years time, you're 42. What year was that? Six, six years ago? Yep. Here, well, I was actually looking at not more. The last time not more won the county. Uh, final was in 1997 and who did the beat in the final and nearly fell off my seat Kilshima our first and only uh, senior county final fully Jesus uh, very 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 strong team back in uh, back in 97 and uh, didn't really build on it then after that to be honest uh, Knockmore that year actually went on to contest the um, it shows how good Knockmore had to be Willie that they went on to the All-Ireland final that year and lost to Crossland again and we know from uh, examining Crossland again's record on Monday that there's no shame in losing the, a final to uh, Crossland again. So, yeah, no, we, we we were a senior final 97 and we're relegated soon after because the last time we won an intermediate final was 0-1 four years later. So, right. um, so yeah, it was, it was a brief flirtation with, with the senior county final. But who knows if Conan is right, we could be back contesting one in, what, six years' time, which would be 2026. And I won't be <laughs> the, the, the Wicklow County final is on as well as the football final. Bolton Glass, uh, one of the huge teams in Wicklow, played Tin Ahili. Tin Ahili, who I don't think it, they've ever won it. Um, I'm not too, I think maybe they might have won it. Uh, it's, it's a long time ago, maybe 1984 or something like that. One other game I want to draw your attention to, lads, is my team, Johnstown Bridge, are in the quarterfinal against Moorfield. This is their big chance, lads. Look, this is it. And I'm tired of the teams that I've, I've, I'm kind of half rooting for losing. I'm tired of Johnstown Bridge being the nearly men. You're too good for this, lads. I'm delighted to drew Moorfield because this is a one chance for them to get over... The, this kind of mental block that they have, beat the big team and go on and win the Kildare County County Championship. So expect Moorfield to absolutely hammer them and we can have a look, uh, a bit of a laugh at it on, on Monday. So that's it. Johnstown Bridge versus Moorfield quarterfinal. Uh, there you go. Another one of my uh, tips. So it's the kiss of death. A fella sent me a message on Twitter saying, which is which is your co- team in football in Cork, Woolley? I just want to know whether to, uh, whether to give up on the championship. <laughs> right. Right, lads, we'll leave it there. So Johnstown Bridge, we'll all be looking out for that ma- for that uh, result, lads. Maybe they can turn the whole thing around. Right, we'll leave it there, boys. We'll be back on Monday and we'll review the weekend as usual. We'll talk to you then. Oh, you won't be here, Connor, depending on results, I presume. Depending on, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Give okay. me a call. <laughs> right, listen, talk to you Monday. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so... Open up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. 
but it's harder to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.